So this morning, I hope that I can move us. That's my intent this morning, is that none of us would leave the way we came. That all of us will actually change today. That's, that's my hope. So, we definitely grow up in a society where we often hear these words. I grew up in a Christian home. We could almost say we live in a Christian town. Um, many kids would say they go to a Christian school. We still have verses up on this school's uh, walls, Christian verses, right? Uh, for a long time, South Africa would have claimed to be a Christian country. I'm not so sure about that anymore, because I think we've removed all the references to God of our money recently. So maybe that's not true anymore. But it was, in a sense, never true. South Africa was never a Christian country. A country can't be Christian. A school can't be Christian. A town can't be Christian. A person is a Christian. You can be a Christian. But not the home that you grow up in. There's a thing that... They say, like, if, you're, if you sleep in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. So if you come to church, it doesn't make you a Christian. What makes us a Christian? Are you a Christian? Have you asked yourself that question lately? Um, what do you get up for in the morning? What are you living for? Those are the questions that we need to ask to actually determine how do we know that we are a Christian. Can we check this? So, first of all, the person that made it, Christians are those people that are called little Christs. That's where the term comes from. Little Christ, little Jesuses. That's who we are if we're Christian. So we imitators of Jesus, of Christ. And that's where the term came from, Christians. Right. So who is Jesus? And to get a proper picture of who Jesus is, I'd like us to read Revelations 4. So it's the revelation of Christ, right? So Revelation 4. I'll read it for us. I've got it. When it comes up, there we go. Let me read it from there. After this, this is John the disciple of, of, of Jesus, and he lived longest, and he, he saw this, these visions in Revelation that God showed him. And in this picture, he is actually seeing a picture of heaven. So this is, what does heaven look like? He says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. So he's got a doorway coming into heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me, like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this? Like a trumpet. That's loud. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. 
In this version, it says something else. Jasper and Ruby. I take it that's the same thing. Where am I? A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Are you getting this picture? If you, if you listen to this, a throne with somebody sitting on it. He looks like jewels shining out of him. He looks like that. And, and there's a rainbow encircling him. Surrounding the throne, there were 24 other thrones. So there's this large throne and, and 24 other thrones around it. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. You're seeing that, like lightning coming out of this throne. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in the back. Wow. Awkward. Funny, no? <laughs> the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under their wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. That's what heaven looks like. That's where Jesus is sitting on a throne. Lightning shining through the universe. Everything that lives and breathes was made by him. He, he holds the universe, the unending universe, in the palm of his hand. Like, there. It's like, like I would hold a, a marble, you know, in his hand. The whole universe, unending, just holds it there. If he stops holding it, it stops being. That's Jesus. He's got a robe. He's got people worshipping him. He's got creatures that are, you can't even fathom what they would look like. What does that look like? I, I, I don't think my mind can actually get it. I think John struggled to, to write down these words to try and, Paint this picture of Jesus. This Jesus. Holding the universe in the palm of his hand. Got off that throne. <laughs> he took off that robe. And he came to earth. Why? To die on a cross. For me. 
for you. That's what he did. He got off that throne. Stepped off, stepped into his own creation. Like me. And went, paid the ultimate price, died for me. That's love. That's how much Jesus loves you. Is when you realize this, that you become a Christian. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody that's received that gift. That's realized what it is that Jesus did. That he traded everything. He kept the scars. He is in heaven today with the scars. Through his hands. Psalm 104 verse 5 says this. Who, who is Jesus? He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. Proverbs 30 verse 4 says, Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Isaiah forty twelve to 14. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Nobody, none of us. Many, many, many more scriptures showing the glory of God. He's willing to give that up for you. John 15 verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friend. No greater love. That is the ultimate show of love. Is to lay down your life for a friend. That's what Jesus did. In a sense, if you were the only one to respond to his crucifixion, he would die for you. He died for you. He died for me. What does that make me do? What is, what do I, how do I respond to that? Well, I'll tell you how I responded. So, <laughs> it changed my life. The moment that I realized what Jesus had done for me, it changed everything. It changed who I became. It changed what I planned to do. It changed everything. It changed the course of my life. There's a moment in time where I met Jesus. It was in the middle of a desert in Namibia. But in that moment, my life changed forever. I didn't end up where I was heading to. In a certain sense, thank God, because maybe I would have been dead by now. 
it was the moment when I realized that I was messing everything up. And that my plans actually were not God's plans. And I changed my plans for God's plans. That's that moment. That's how, that's how I responded. That's actually how everyone should exp- respond. Jesus paid everything so that you can have a relationship with him. Greater has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. John 15 verse 13. So I gave control of my life to God. The moment you get saved is the moment that you say, God, you're my king. Not, oh, I accept this gift and sometimes I'll take it out and play with it. You know, great Christmas gift is the little toy car that you get when you're little and you put it on the shelf there and then sometimes you take it off and you play with it. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't give us that gift. Jesus gave us the gift of the power of the Holy Spirit that can transform our lives every second of your life. It means you're different. It means you're a different person. It changed who my friends were. I didn't do that, but the friends I had didn't want to be my friends anymore. And the friends I didn't want, I wanted. I changed that much. It changed my sport. It changed the way I spoke. It changed the jokes that I thought was funny. It wasn't that I didn't want to tell the jokes anymore that were funny. I all of a sudden found some of the jokes that I thought were really funny to be quite offensive to me. So I stopped doing it. It just sounded wrong in my ears. I used to swear a lot. And I can clearly recall the first time I swore after I gave my heart to the Lord. And it felt so wrong. It was what, what used to just come out of me like water and felt so natural. All of a sudden this word came out and I was like, Whoa, that felt wrong, like a jolt of lightning going through me. That was the Holy Spirit in me going, no. Light and darkness can't occupy the same space anymore. And a piece of darkness was still somewhere in my heart, in my, and, and it came out, and the Holy Spirit showed it to me, and I was like, I'm not going to do that again. That felt very wrong. When Jesus died for you, he also gave you the power to change. You've got to take that up, though. You have to change. So, little story. When I, one of the first churches I joined after I got saved was the Lighthouse Church. Josh Jen sometimes rents that building now to have big meetings in and we used to have 412 there, but we've outgrown the building. It was one of the larger churches in Cape Town. And um, one of the pastors, one of the leaders of the church, Peter, became a very good friend of mine. But uh, I used to go to him in the beginning and say, Peter, I've got this problem. I'm struggling with whatever. And then he would say, die. 
what do you mean, Peter? I've got this problem. Help me. What do I do? It's like, give me some, some good counsel, they would say. Die. But what do you mean? He says, dead people don't have problems. If you die, you won't have any problems. Right? Years later, I walked into Peter and uh, I said, Peter, can you remember this? Like, is that the advice you gave everybody? Like, die. Because I'd become a leader in Sostjen and I thought, well, would I do what he did? <laughs> he said, no, I didn't. I didn't feel it for everybody. I felt it for you. Die. You know, Josh Jen's tagline is dying to live. Die. In a sense, for us all, die. So, I've got that scripture here somewhere. I don't think it's yours. Galatians 2 verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who moved me, who loved me and gave himself for me. I no longer live for myself. I no longer live my old life. And you can put your own name in that sentence. Can you? Christians, no longer living for yourself, living for God. There's a, there's a scripture, I think it's the end of Ephesians, that says, Paul writes, he says, I'm coming back to the church, and I'm going to come and see if you are living right, or whether you're speaking empty words. He says, I'm going to come check on you. I want to see your lives, and I want to see if the power of God is among you. Or whether you just say it, that it is. I want to see the Holy Spirit working in your church. That's what he said. He said, I'm coming back. I know I planted you. I know I taught correctly. I know you know scripture. But are you talking it or are you living it? I'm coming to check. That's Apostle Paul writing. Or are you living in a powerless church? Are you a powerless society that say that I grew up in a Christian home and the house is more Christian than the occupants and schools got some scriptures on the walls but the children coming out of that school vape and swear and think ugly jokes or funny jokes that makes the building more Christian than the children in it so, percentage-wise, what do you think? South Africa? Christian country. How many people in South Africa? Percentage-wise, how, how many Christians do we have in South Africa? What would you say? Huh? Let's go for somebody that's positive. Shawnee. Shawnee is going with 2%. I think she's spot on. I think it might be a bit high, even. 2%? Would you give it more? You'd, you'd say more. 7%. 70%. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think two. Maybe. That's, 
That's the point. Christian is this. How, what percentage of our country has been touched by God is living what the word says? Two percent? It's a high figure. We are not a Christian country. We have a lot of work. When Jesus said, go out to the nations, go make disciples, it's your neighbor. It really is. It's the guy next to you. 98% of this country, I'm going to tell you. You know that 70% of our country can't read and write? We think everybody can read and write. I can't even think that I know somebody that can't read and write. It means that I'm not in contact with a huge percentage of our country. But it's not the people that can't read and write that don't follow God. It's just the majority of us. How would we know if we are part of that majority or not? How do you know? Like, well, why are you in Oatswaran? Have you asked yourself that question? Why are you here? What are you doing? Yeah, why do you get up in the morning? Do you get up to go to work? Do you go, get up to go to school? Do you get up to go play sport? What is your plan? What's your life plan? What's your five-year life plan? Everybody should have a five-year life plan and a ten-year life plan. What is your plan? Where are you going? Does that include Jesus? Does it? I'm going to make this thing. Not only does it include Jesus, is he the one? Is that your goal? Is that who you're living for? Are you getting up in the morning solely for God? Is he the priority in your life? Then you're a Christian. I think the 2% has just dropped to one and a half. Yeah? What about this? What does your diary say about tomorrow? What's in your diary? If you want to know if you truly are a follower of Christ, what's in your diary? Is there at least one thing that says 412 conference in your diary? That could help. Put it in for next year. Buy a diary for next year. Put it in for next year. Put it on your Google diary. You can move the date when we know when it is. It's going to be roughly in the same time in Oatswaran. <laughs> but what does your diary say about your life? If you die today and your family comes and asks me to do your funeral and they give me your diary, what would I find? Because I'd, I'd hate it if I open your diary and there's nothing of God in there and your family wants me to say something nice about your life and how you love Jesus and now you're in a better place, right? That's what everybody says when they lose a loved one. Lucky could say that his daughter is in a better place. She had written it down in a diary. 
She had written her life story down on a piece of paper that fell out of her diary. What does your diary say about you? Are you a follower of Christ? It's not too late. You can change your diary. But go check it. So, do I... So, now I live my life for Christ. What does that look like? What does that look like? Because do I not worry about my children? I do. I worry about their future. I worry about the work that they can do, that they'll be able to get money, that they'll be able to provide for their families. So, do I not worry about that? I do. Worrying is a, bit, is a sin. So, when I worry, I take it to Jesus, hopefully. Nah? Worrying is a sin. Because it's not trusting God. I read the book of Haggai. Have you read the book of Haggai? Who's read the book of Haggai? I know Siggy has. <laughs> so in the book of Haggai, God comes to the king and he says, You plant and you don't reap. You work and you don't get a reward. The whole of, na- of the nation is living in, in, in that. You're working for no reward. And then God says, because you live in paneled homes while I don't have a place to stay. You're building your house and you're not building mine. I am fighting you. I am keeping the rain from your land and I'm keeping your animals from having offspring. Don't let God fight against your children. When would God fight against your children? Well, when school becomes a lot more important than God's kingdom. When sport becomes more important than God's kingdom. When their career becomes more important than God's kingdom. Why would our children be like that? Well, they learn it from us. If our fears for the future becomes their fears for their future and they lose focus of God, and they don't trust in Him, but they trust in their own ability to make their own life and their own world a better place. We could leave our children in a place where God finds them. Why? Because God's more interested in them being His children than living in a big house and having a great career. God is more interested in us having a relationship with Him and our lives counting for his kingdom. Because that is what's really good for us. He loved us enough to die for us, remember? He paid the ultimate price. He wants to see us join him in that throne room one day. And he'll do everything to get us there. God promises Haggai, you built my house, I'll build yours. I take that deal every day. In fact, I got that. Somebody came to me, a prophetic person came to me a couple of years ago. It's not long ago. Four or five years ago. And let me tell you where I was. Financially, broke. I had poured everything I had into God's kingdom. And maybe I wasn't that wise. I poured some of the bank's money into God's kingdom as well. I was 
I had probably about half a million rands worth of debt at the time. And I didn't know how I was going to pay it. So I think I was unwise. I should have put my hand up earlier and said, guys, I'm not making it. On the pantry, church looking after me, I was an elder. I had a problem with it, personally, that how can I be an elder and I'm on the pantry? But Mike Davies came to me and said, you know what? You are the example of somebody that should be on the pantry. You're faithful with your money, you thought, at least. <laughs> you tithe. Even though you don't, can't make it, you still tithe. You work for the kingdom. Everything you have is in, in there. It says you should be on the pantry. That is the qualification. You remember you're, you're in. You never miss anything. So we were on the pantry. And somebody came to me with a prophetic word and said this. And I was, I was considering leaving the office that I was working for in, in Josh Jen and going back into IT. Because when I was in IT, I earned a lot of money. I worked for Business Connection. I see their cars drive around here. Office Connection still has the same logo. I was one of the managers of that Office Connection part of, of Business Connection. Gave up more than half of my salary to work for the office. Right? And then I, I thought, okay, I'm going to leave the office for a season and I'll find myself IT work again. It pays well. So it would be easy. I've, I can still be that. I can still manage IT. I fixed the computer this morning. <laughs> it's not hard. They're scared of me. <laughs> they know I'll throw them away without thinking. <laughs> I intimidate the computer into working. <laughs> but, yeah. So I thought of going back and a, prof a prophetic person came to me and said, God says, if you build my house, I'll build yours. And I went, oh. I was taking my focus off God. I was looking at my own bank balance, thinking I'll fix it. God warned me, just in time. Today I live in a double-story house in Oatsworn, leading his church. I don't know how that happened. I literally don't know how that happened. I don't deserve that. I didn't go back into IT to earn the money to get to be here. I drive a fortune and it's paid. God gave me all of that. He, he literally gave it to me. You build my house, I look after yours. Do you want your children to succeed? Build God's house. Then your children will succeed. Do you want your business to succeed? Build God's house. Throw your life into God's kingdom. Make that your priority. And then God will look after your things. Then he doesn't have to fight it so that he can get your attention. I used to be a slave of sin. I used to do stuff wrong all the time. But in a moment, I became God's slave. 
I'm no longer my own. So, Jesus did give us some things to do. What did he say we must do? In Matthew, he said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's what you should do. That's the focus. That is what all of us should be doing. If you were wondering, what does this look like? Right? What do we live for? We live for what God commanded us to do. Why are we here? You are a missionary. First in Oetswoorn, then in Karlitzdorp and Derist, then in Mossel Bay and George, in the Western Cape, in Africa and in the world. God has called you, each one of you, to do that. You should be making disciples. Disciples. Right? What does that look like? What does it look like tomorrow at school? To make disciples. Well, A, your life needs to be right. You can't lead somebody somewhere that you haven't gone. And then, you take one person and you get them to do what you're doing. That's how you make a disciple. The disciples of Jesus walked behind him. As he walked, they walked behind him. There we go. He had disciples. Wherever he went, when he did something, they did it. When he slept, they slept. When he worked, they worked. They listened. They learned. And one day, when he left, they continued. Then they had disciples. And those disciples had disciples. And now we are here. And we need to be disciples and we need to have disciples. In your workplace, in your life, your children are easy disciples. They have to listen. Practice on them, parents. If you lead them well, then you know how to lead the others well. It doesn't end at your front door though. Because your children are watching you. What do you live like beyond the front door? And what do you live like inside? Are those two matching? Because it should 100% line up. This is what I'm like at home. Just like this. Preaching a little bit less hopefully. (laughs) My kids are laughing. (laughs) Maybe I don't. (laughs) But it's got to. to, I've got to line up. Do I? I'll ask you a question, honest question. I need to check that with them because they can tell me. They see me every day. This needs to line up with the everything. Your life has to be, it needs to make sense. It, there can't be disparities in your life. Between your friends, you're like this. Between your family, you're like this. And at church, you're like that then you can't make disciples because they will follow you and your life doesn't add up. Your life has to add up 100%. If it doesn't, you have to work at changing it and you have to allow the Holy Spirit to help you and give you power to change it because he's waiting to empower you to do that.
412. Why are we going to 412? Why are we going? William, why are we going? <laughs> He's looking for a verse. The 412. Yes. What does it say? Ephesians 412. To equip and minister the saints in the work of... Four, Ephesians 4.12. God gave gifts to the church. Very good. That's the right answer. I was hoping for a wrong one. <laughs> Ephesians 4.12. God gave gifts to the church. Pastors, evangelists, apostles first actually. Um, shepherds. And I always forget the fifth one. Teachers. There we go. To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's why we go. We don't go. We also go to go awesome worship, jump up and down. Yes, we also go for that. We also go because there's going to be some awesome international speakers speaking. And it's the whole hype of it, isn't it? No, it's Ewan McRae. McGregor. No, not McGregor. (laughs) Ewan McRae, not McGregor. (laughs) Man of God. Remember from last year, did that change you? That's the question. If we go and we hear people speak and we go for awesome worship, we've, we've only had a good experience. And we'll come back. And if we're unchanged, then you wasted the money and the time. The aim of the 412 conference is to change who you are. You need to walk out of that thing different. It's there to focus you on what God and Jesus wants you to be. And I can tell you ahead of time so that you know what the focus is. The focus is the nation's. Jesus' focus has always been the nations. It's we need to seek and save the lost and make disciples of them and baptize them. That's his focus. That is, there, there you go. My last point. I'm hoping not to make it a long one. Let's see if I can do this very quickly. Because <laughs> this is a big point. You can't do it alone. You cannot do it. So Dirk farms at the moment because he has water. Dirk said to me, you don't farm with soil, you, you farm with water. It's raining. Glory to God, it's raining. And now we farm. John farms with water. <laughs> He's got a pump that pumps water out of a river. But now he doesn't have to use it because God's water is falling out of the sky for free. <laughs> that is amazing. Right? That's how we, we farm. But he also farms with a tractor and a planter. Yes? So if you had to use a shovel to farm your, your, your farm, where would you be now? Oh. Yeah, like a quarter hectare for, for, like maybe, if you worked on your own with a shovel. Well, I've tried to do the, my garden with a shovel because the tractor won't fit in there. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's a lot of work. A little, a little piece the size of this table in Oatswern soil. I'm telling you, you get, you get fit and buff from working in your garden. <laughs> Don't need to go to gym if you have a garden. You can just pick up a shovel. You'll have blisters. No, we use a tractor. Plows, drives. It's not, not work. It's hard work. But you plow a land and you, and, you, and you plant using a planter. Or you could be standing there with a shovel. The church is that vehicle that God created for us to reach the lost. On your own, you're standing around with a shovel. It's an impossible job. It is through the church that God intends to reveal his manifold wisdom to the lost and to rulers and principalities. Where is that? It says, I've got that verse somewhere. Okay, it's fine. (laughs) It is to the church, through the church, that God wants to reveal what he has done to the rest. But it's as each part does its bit in the church that the church does this. The church is not a building. The church is you. And if you live for God, if you put God as the number one in your life, if he is the name that's in your diary on every day page, then you are doing your bit. And then the church is a glorious place. Then we expect that incredible stuff will happen. I want to walk into a Sunday meeting where we expect the dead to be raised. The dead in Christ to be raised. But what about some dead people being raised? It can happen. The sick healed. The spiritually sick healed. And also the sick healed. Yes? Lives transformed. That is the power of the gospel. God does it with the gospel and with the church. The gospel and the church. But each one of us need to do what we need to do. And if we don't, the entire body doesn't do what it needs to do. My hand needs to go along to Malmesbury so that we can go to 412. It cannot stay on its own. It cannot decide that, you know what, I'll leave my arm to look after Michael's dog while we rock on. The Adams family, I shouldn't refer to stuff, <laughs> has this weird, awkward hand that's horrible. Don't watch it. <laughs> Don't watch it. <laughs> Sorry for that reference. <laughs> but it's got this weird hand walking around on the ground on its own. You would be freaked out. I'm telling you, the most, the gr- biggest guy here, the buffest oak, if a, hand, if a hand comes running in, right, to your house on its own, you will run like they would, nothing would catch you. You won't stop to get into your car. You will scale the wall and be past your neighbor's house in no time at all. 
Maybe Dirk will flatten the thing with a shovel. <laughs> the rest of us will run. But that's what people think they need to be. We think we need to be that hand that's got a mission. For God. I've got a mission for God. I'm on my own mission. It is through the church that God wants to reveal his wisdom to the world. Acts 2, 42 to 47. I'm going to read that for us. Can we put that up? That's what the church looks like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So when you have an opportunity to hear an apostolic voice speak, you, devotion means that you drop everything else and you do it. When there's a gathering, when one of the guys with an apostolic voice comes here to speak to us and, and join with us, then I put it on the WhatsApp and then that's what devoted in, the, in Acts 2.42 looks like today. Is you favor Andrew Silly's voice. He's an apostolic voice. Go look on the 412 app who the apostolic voices are that God has placed in 412, which you are part of. And listen to those voices and change. Listen to what they say and do it. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship. That's us. To being together. To the breaking of bread. We did that this morning. You can do that at home. I know Lucky and them do it at home. You can do it at home with your children, with your friends. When we get together, if you get together for a braai, have you ever considered, let's break some bread. Just for a moment, let's just stop, pause. No, my other unsafe friends are going to be there. They think we're awkward. That's your opportunity to include them. We are going to break some bread this today. Join us. Jesus died for us. And to prayer. Some of the ladies get together every week to pray. We share that on WhatsApp. Guys, if you're free, go. Here's a prayer. You can go. Are you devoted to that? Will you sacrifice to join it? On a Wednesday, some of the guys get together to pray. We'll put that on WhatsApp for you guys. Are you devoted to that? In your own quiet time, are you devoted to pray? Are you speaking to God on a daily basis? Devoted. Everyone. This is what happens. Here we go. This is what I can't wait for. Everyone. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miracle signs were done by the apostles. Why? Because of devotion to the pattern of God. That's why. All the believers were together and had everything in common. What's in my fridge is yours. And what's in your fridge is mine. No? Is that true? Or if somebody walks into your kitchen, they can't open your fridge and just take out some milk and make some tea, coffee. It's off limits. Or do you have a second fridge in your garage that you don't tell the people about? 
put all the nice stuff in there. <laughs> What's in my one fridge is yours. The other one I'm hiding. They sold their possessions and goods and gave to anyone who had need. Yo, they sold what they had and gave it to people that had need. And no one had need. No, no one had need. Here's the other thing that they did do. So to balance that statement, because you're going, wait, if I sell my house and we give it to the people that have need, then, well, then we all have no house, right? <laughs> then we all live under the bridge. No, no. We're talking about the fellowship of believers. No one in the fellowship of believers had any need. Do we have a responsibility to people outside of the church? Yes. That's why they call the timbers there. But it's after we've looked at the fellowship of believers. There's also some letters of Paul, that, or I think it's Peter that wrote, that says, this person in the life of the church is lazy. They don't want to work. They're not doing their part. Don't help them. Help the others. Don't help them. Actually, help the others in another church next door rather than helping this person. So if there's somebody, okay, we get there, where we have so much love among us, where that won't be offensive. Because right now, I think we might actually find that offensive. If I come to you and say, don't help this person. Don't help um, Tuomas. He's not doing his job. <laughs> we've spoken to him. We've looked at his finances. We've tried to help him. But he's not listening. He's not canceling DSTV. And he went and he bought that new car that he couldn't afford, an A-class Mercedes and a, and a Ferrari. <laughs> and now he's the church's problem. <laughs> don't help him. And then we don't. Why? To help him, to love him. Because when such a person, it's not Thomas, huh? That's why I used him. <laughs> Because that's helping. That's loving. Sold their positions. No one had any need. Would we be the church where we need to tell people don't help rather than ask and beg people to help? Because that's what that looks like. It's a church where you have to say don't help, not where you have to ask can you please help. Because help was overflowing. That's why it wasn't offensive. Selling their possessions and goods. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day they met together in the temple courts. Not on Sundays, not on Wednesdays. Every day they met together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's what made them effective. It's the devotion. It's the caring. It's the love. It's, the, it's, it's making God number one. All of that speaks of God is my reason to live. Check your diary. 
Are you a Christian? Check your diary. What does it say? Are you devoted to the fellowship? Or is it something you sometimes come to? Because I take responsibility for you. Bernard takes responsibility for you. The deacons are taking responsibility for you. Your community leader is taking responsibility for you. When your community leader phones you and says, are you okay? You should actually hear that maybe I'm not. Check yourself. Check your diary immediately. Am I okay? Is God my focus? Because I think our bar sometimes is set too low for being a Christian. If you're a Christian because you grew up in a Christian home, then... I'm going to say your house is probably more Christian than you are. So, where do we take this? I want you to join me to be part of this body. Be part of Jesus' body. Make him the focus. Let me, maybe that, there's one thing. It says, Ephesians 1 verse 22. Where do we get this idea? It says, God placed all things under his feet. That's Jesus. And appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is the head. We are the body. Jesus calls the shots. He decides what we do, where we go. And he actually gave us that command. He told us what to do. But we are the body. So this morning, if you're here and you're saying, I want to be part of that body, I'm willing to make Jesus the head of my life and join in the church his body. I'd like you to stand. Join me. It's a big commitment, guys. I'm going to ask Bernard to stand with me. I've been been the elder year alone for too long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Father God, Father, we want to come and commit our lives to you this morning. Father, as we stand, we want to take a stand for you and for your kingdom. Jesus, be the head of our hearts. Be the head of our lives. Holy Spirit, come and talk to us and show us the way. Father, give us the power and the strength to fill our diaries with what you've got for us. To make you our purpose in life. 
Father, I'm asking that you would bless each and every person here, Lord. That as, as we build your home, you would build ours. Father God, I pray for each and every person here that makes your house their focus, their priority. Father, that you would pour a blessing out over their lives, over their children's lives. Father, that everything they touch would prosper. Everything they do, Father, would work. Father, that we would have a good report with the world and that this lost will come in and get saved. Father, I want to pray that we are a people that live in such a way that you can add to our number. That daily you can add into us those who join your kingdom. That we would be a safe place. Father, that we would disciple those that get saved. Jesus, thank you that you paid the price for us. Thank you that you gave up heaven and paid the price for us. All glory and honor be to you who sits upon the throne and who holds the universe in your hand. Glory, glory, glory and honor to you, Lord Jesus. Amen.